Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep, deep in perdition, if our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise through attrition or blatant nepotism, if women and children have to live in impossible conditions, if you have to die due to someone else's damn decisions, rise up when innocent citizens perish. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate. On the issue of 21st century legalized slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. This is our February 7th, 2018 broadcast in our sixth season. On this day in history, February 6, actually, 1820, the first organized immigration of freed slaves to Africa from the United States departed New York Harbor on a journey to Freetown, Sierra Leone, in West Africa. The immigration was largely the work of American Colonization Society, a U.S. organization founded in 1816 by Robert Finley to return freed American slaves and slave people to Africa. 
However, the expedition was also partially funded by the U.S. Congress, which in 1819 had appropriated $100,000 to be used in returning displaced Africans illegally brought to the United States after the abolition of the slave trade in 1808 to Africa. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Prince Hall. In this segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we remember the Samba Rebellion of 1731. Our riders of the 21st Century Underground Railroad are Kevin Bailey and Corey Batchelor. Both were exonerated in Chicago, Illinois, January 30th, 2018, based on DNA and other evidence that the two men, teenagers at the time, were physically coerced into falsely confessing. Bailey, who has served 28 years for the crime, was released Tuesday afternoon. Bachelor was released in 2004 after serving 15 years in prison. As usual, we'll dissect and disseminate current news and events related to the 13th Amendment slavery from the perspective of abolitionists. We're also going to take some time to remember our brother, Muedin Dubaha, a.k.a. Moya, who was shot and killed yesterday in New Orleans. Muedin Dubaha was the leader of the BLM Charleston chapter and a slavery abolitionist who gave his life to the people. He and I have had many memorable and historic moments together. And to be frank, I'm considering not being okay today. Pardon if I get a little emotional. We're hoping friends and family can call in to share a memory or say a few words in his honor here tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. With that said, if you got a question or a comment or you want to chime in, you can call at 704-802-5026. You can chat with us <clears throat> and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? How you doing, man? Uh, greetings to you, Max. Um, I'm doing the best I can, man. Been battling uh, flu. Really, everybody in the whole house is, is sick. My little grandson, he's going to be out of school for another week. So I'm just trying to recover my strength, man. I had to cancel my program last night. Um, Cause I just can't. I, I'm short of breath, man, and can't really talk. Um, but you know, I'm I'm definitely uh, here tonight, and you know, I stand. I want to send out my condolences uh, to his family, friends, and to you, Max, as he was a mentee of yours, as you brought him under your wing. And, uh, in terms of the abolitionist movement, but like you said, uh, you know, he was the leader of the BLM chapter down there in, in Charleston, uh, South Carolina. Uh, I just recall memory. The only, you know, I never met him personally like you have, Max, but he was a guest on this program. The very last time he was on the program was in 2015. I believe it was in September along with Christopher Irvin, another abolitionist who is out of the Maryland uh, area. So by the memories I have of him also is is the times that he was on mainstream media and him just keeping it real and, and not trying to, let's say, uh, clean up his language for just speaking direct and to the point as if he was speaking to them if he was on Black Talk Radio Network. You know, we don't censor anything. We don't try to control anyone's speech and what have you. doesn't mean that we agree with everything that co- comes off the platform, uh, but certainly it's an uncensored uh, f- a free atmosphere here as a safe black space. 
So I do remember him, though, being, I believe it was CNN or, or some other channel where he had a, they had a proxy on the other side of the, you know, the debate or whatever they were talking about. Um, you know, proxy for those that don't understand in the context of racism and white supremacy, that's a term I came up with to describe uh, black people. And you can also apply it, apply it to non-white people who, who work along with the system uh, to keep the status quo. And I just remember him just keeping it real on that broadcast. And then, of course, uh, we all saw the images of him taking the flag, the Confederate slavers flag, the terrorist flag uh, from those who I think were counter-protesting against a rally that he was a part of. I know uh, the sister from Charlotte was a part of as well, but uh, he snatched their Confederate flag. And so, I, you know, those are my memories uh, of him, and I'm deeply saddened uh, that we have lost a soldier in this fight. Well, yeah, thank you, Scotty. Uh, My condolences and my heart goes out to his family. I didn't really know his family like that, but I knew him well. Uh, over the years, I have mentored a lot of young people, and uh, he and I had a special relationship like that. He'd call me for advice, and we'd just talk. Uh, you know, we worked together on so many different occasions. The behind-the-scenes stuff that people don't know about that just inspires people all over the world. Like the day of July 4th when we were together with John Sims. You remember John Sims, and he was doing the uh, burn, uh, burning the Confederate flags thing which he does every year. And on that day, Muaddin was there with myself and Tribal and John Sims and Jonesy Stark and a number of other abolitionists out of the Columbia area. And the police came down and targeted him specifically because of his Black Lives Matter shirt. And then kidnapped him before, uh, you know, it was all done. Literally kidnapped, snatched him right up, took him into uh, the city hall and interrogated him right there and then for wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. And everybody was, you know, burning the flags, little pieces of paper flags. But they focused on him specifically. The whole thing was on video. It went viral. But that was just one instance with him and I. Um, I remember the last time I saw the brother, I was in Columbia University, Columbia City of Columbia, and I was receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award from the spoken word community. And he was there as one of my guests. And uh, Tribal had fractured her leg so she couldn't walk. It had just happened on the way there, like literally getting dressed to go there. And she's like, no, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm not going to mess up your night. You're going to get this award. So we get down there, and uh, I get the award. And at the end of it, him and I carried Tribal Rain to the car. <laughs> like, you know, it was that type of, type of closeness. The brother had potential. When you mentioned Christopher Irvin, it's just amazing that those two were on the same day in their interview because they have like that similar type of potential they could change everything you know what i mean and their work history speaks for itself they're there they're doing it they're in these circles where their influence can make such a difference and they never forget about abolition or slavery abolition it always comes up some way somehow and they're so well versed on it that they can hold a conversation as you mentioned he was on national television. I think it was MSNBC with a couple other talking heads. And they started running this rhetoric uh, along with one of the people, like you said, who was potentially a sellout there. And Muhaddin went straight to the 13th Amendment and modern-day slavery and left them all dumbfounded. They didn't know what to say because he was right on every single count. 
and you can't even find that video right now. It was like, we can't play that like this. You can't even find, I can't find a link anywhere. But that's the type of brother that he was. He, he was an abolitionist. He was the leader of the Black Lives Matter movement, and he was probably the most well-known of the Black Lives Matter movement other than the originators. Because uh, he was right there in the beginning with the Charleston Nine, him and I together with the protests. We were together when the flag came down in South Carolina. He was part of that movement as well. We were there together at the push black of 2015 uh, where the abolitionists stood at the city capital steps and spoke to the thousands gathered about modern day slavery. I mean, this is the type of work this brother was doing and he brought people together. They were, he was brilliant, Scotty, like brilliant. The potential was unlimited. Like uh, brother Christopher Irvin's potential is unlimited in this. And to see that snuffed out just, ter just terrible. People just don't know what they lost. He was making a difference. And had so he was about to run for Senate, Scotty. The brother was running for Senate. He wanted to be a senator. And I personally think that this was an assassination. I think that he was killed. I, th I think we shouldn't take that off the table. That he was, uh, somebody attempted to kill him to take him out of the picture. Well, it wasn't he attempted to kill. He, it will actually be they succeeded if you you know, if evidence turns up to support that, it wasn't an attempt. The brother's actually dead. So, uh, but, you know, what's being reported is rather dubious. Uh, they released surveillance footage, which shows him just riding his bike. And they're saying that he was shot in the leg and I assume bled out from that leg wound. Yeah, I unfortunately had to watch the video of the moments that where he died, and they didn't show him being shooting shot, although they just said they have that footage. But they did show him after being shot, and he was dragging his bike behind him, walking with a limp because he was bleeding out. And uh, they said that uh, he died or he collapsed just like a couple blocks from the medical center, and he was dead by the time they got him there. And he was shot in the so leg much, and, uh, while riding his bike. Yeah, that's just so unfortunate um, for those out there listening because abolitionism is a dangerous work. Working for social change is dangerous work. So that's the worst thing he could have done was to try to walk. And I imagine fear set in, panic set in, and I got to get some help. Um, but he bled out because he was walking. And, and you say he was dragging his bike uh, behind him. Yes. So if you are ever shot of uh, people, whether it's a leg wound, especially if it hits an artery, what you want to do, if it's on one of your limbs, is take your belt or whatever you have to make a tourniquet to prevent yourself from bleeding out to give you more time for um, um, EMTs uh, to render assistance so just, just very senseless killing um whether we want to whether it turns out it's assassination or if it's just senseless violence that we see in our communities um it, it, it happens and so i, I mean that, why would a person just that, shoot somebody riding on their bike why, why would you just shoot somebody you know for kicks or something like that i mean that's that's just you know the sick society that we live in the video that I saw was moments after he had been shot. So it's very likely that he was under the assumption that somebody was still trying to kill him and he wasn't going to stop That's possible. and uh, wrap himself up. Uh, likely he was dragging the bike for an attempt to get on it and start running and uh, riding. And I, I believe that's what he did. 
and he collapsed after riding the bike. Yeah. So he was likely trying to avoid more uh, fata- a certain fatality, not knowing that that was already enough. Um, I also remember, though, the, and this is for those, no, that was Gwen Eiffel. I'm confusing her with Joy Ann Reed because I really don't um, care too much for Joy Ann Reed or MSNBC. But that was PBS that you, um, you and uh, the Baja. Was he was actually going to be on the panel, right? And they bumped him off the panel or something. Do you, you recall yes. that? Yeah. In detail, we have the video of it and everything. Uh, Youssef, brother Youssef Hassan, was there as well that day. That was the day he met uh, Muaddin. So, tribal, myself, my daughter, my grandchildren, we had uh, been there, and I'd been up all night long. And we were at this TV, PBS taping where he was invited to be a speaker on a representative of the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, at the very last minute, they replaced him with somebody from Campaign Zero, which was like, what? Are you kidding? And we found out it was because of his rhetoric about abolition and slavery. And uh, nonetheless, you know, we took an opportunity and we spoke from the audience and really took over the whole meeting. Like everybody was talking this nonsense. Nobody was really making any clear sense about what it is we're dealing with and how to solve it. And he pointed out what the problems were and I pointed out what the problems were. And later, PBS actually censored us and cut that entire section out. And because it had caused such a ruckus at the end of the event, they took the beginning and then superimposed that at the end. So you didn't see no crowd going, talking, doing none of that stuff. It was really some wonderful editing on PBS's uh, attempt to censor both him and myself. And that was an amazing moment, too. Historical. Right there at Mother Emanuel Church uh, after... Mrs. Clinton came by talking about that all lives matter stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm thinking I, I expect a few callers to call in and share a memory or two. I spoke with John Sims earlier, uh, you know, on that July Fourth event where he was kidnapped by police and interrogated. Oh and yeah, you, you gave out the wrong the number earlier, Max. The telephone number seven zero four eight zero two. Five zero five six fifty fifty six. It's eight zero two fifty fifty six seven zero four area code. My sister India X Sada as well might be calling in because she's like me. She thinks we should not rule out the fact that this was politically motivated. The brother was he was that guy that could have did it all and could have made so much of a difference, and he was well on his way to doing it. Uh, he, the circus he was involved with, the influence he had, he was a double threat. He was the leader of a Black Lives Matter movement, which was bringing black people together over this simple idea that black lives matter. And he was the uh, the activist who had a new way of changing things with his inclusion of abolition in it. So he was the radical that could make a difference with new ideas. And that was a double threat. And running for Senate? Come on. They just killed a senator here. That's how I met him, because they killed Senator Pinckney here in the Charleston Nine Massacre. I think that that was the whole purpose of it was to kill Senator Pinckney and everybody else was just to dress it up. That's how these white supremacists roll. So to, to, if they'll kill an actual set senator and then carry his body under the Confederate flag to lay in state at the city hall, then they'll certainly eliminate any kind of potential senator who could stand up and make such a difference. Well, I think I just it, don't it, think it's not I, out of the realm. Well, yeah. nothing's out of the realm of possibility, Max, but I always lean to my journalistic instincts. I like to wait for facts to come out 
um, before I make assumptions, allegations, you know, of course, we, anybody can make an allegation. And that's not out of the realm of possibilities. But at the same time, he's a soldier. He He's a soldier. In this war, you're going to have casualties. So that don't end the war. Okay. He shall be missed. And the best way to remember him is to continue to fight. Remember his name when you're giving them battle cries uh, out there. And it's going to take more than one person. Uh, it's going to take more than a couple of people uh, to end slavery uh, in this country. Um, you know, and I don't care if it's a CEO of USA Inc. If we was to sneak an abolitionist in there. Yeah, we could do tremendous damage. But that person without millions of people backing their moves can't can't do it by themselves. So I, I just I understand, Max, that. You know, you you had a personal relationship with him, so obvious obviously you're going to be feeling some emotions. I was a witness to what he was capable of. I saw it with my own eyes. I knew the man like in that way, like where he was going, what his mindset was, what he was able to accomplish, and what he could potentially accomplish. So, you know, I, I don't think I'm the only one who saw that. There's a thousands of people all over this country. Do you do you not? So, do you not think that? Um, we have other soldiers more incapable of pressing on with the fight. Scotty, I'm probably going to end up carrying this coffin. Uh, we do have a call. Let's go ahead and take a call from Brother Yousef. What's going on, Brother Yousef? Hey, peace, family. Peace, Brother Yousef. Yeah, we were just talking about you in the day you met him over there, you know. Yeah, man, and, you know, I mean, I want to keep it where you just were. I mean, because it, it strikes a chord with me. It's something that I've been saying, you know, going back to, you know, when uh, Darren Seals first turned up dead. You know, when Darren Seals died and then uh, uh, what was what was the other brother's name out of Ohio? Marshawn McCarroll. You know, and, you know, now we have Mui Dean and we have the brother the other day uh, out in Texas uh, who just got arrested under this... Uh, black identity extremism, you know, so... I'll, I'll be with his people this Friday. Okay, great. Wait, they're going to be in yeah. Atlanta? Yes, along with uh, uh, Leonard Pelter and uh, a lot of na uh, very important people in the political prisoner movement are coming together in and Atlanta I, on and Friday. And I'm going to try my best to make it down there. I'm going to try my best to make it down there, but I, I just definitely believe that it's slowly but surely ushering, re-ushering in COINTELPRO. It's not like that it just went away. You know, it's just coming to the forefront again, which is going to be accepted, accepted practices again, the things that they did, you know, during the 60s and 70s. And, yeah, I mean, that was the first thing that came to my mind when I, when I heard what happened. It was one of the reasons why I was just sitting, like I said, when I saw your post yesterday, I was just sitting there staring at the computer. Because hey, Scotty, if you do me a favor, will you repeat the telephone number? Somebody's trying to call in and they can't seem to get the right number. My wife just sent me a message. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Yusuf, but Scotty, could you repeat the number? Yeah, repeat the number, the number out? Yeah, the telephone number is 704-802-5056. It is also written... Uh, for the promo on our page, New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. So again, 704-804. Uh, sorry, 
I just gave the wrong number, 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. Hit star star. Uh, Hit star star. My mistake. I'm I'm sorry, Max. Let me finish. It's my mistake. On my uh, page, I I put the wrong number. That's why people yeah hit people hit star star to unmute yourself. Max, can you see the uh, the chat? I left a message for you there. Uh, I'll look at it now. I was just about to fix the number. Okay. Okay, I see it. Hey, please continue, brother Yusel. Yes, please. Yeah. So. uh... As I was saying, you know, that was the first thing that came to my mind. You know, and then I'm saying to myself, wow, I mean, this is like right on our doorstep because this isn't, you know, although I have the utmost, you know, awe for brothers like Darren Seals and Marshawn McCarroll. I mean, when you start talking about Moody Dean, I mean, that's, that's someone personally that I know, you know, and then I think about Max, and I think about you, Scotty, and all, all of us who are involved in this, you know, on a daily basis, and how, you know, we're actually, you know, we're, we're targets now. We're definitely targets, and I say, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling it a hit, but that's just what my feelings are. That that that's that's what my feelings were. That was my initial reaction. You know, you know, I have I have an uncle that was. You know, I have several family members that were Black Panthers, and I remember the day that my uncle got murdered. You know, and you know, I was I was young. You know, I was about seven years old, and we knew right away that it was a hit by the by the Baltimore City Police Department. You know, we knew, and it's just. Everything just came rushing back to me again, you know, that it, it, it was just so inexplicable because, I mean, one thing that Max didn't mention, his brother had a severe sense of humor as well, man. and he and I stood outside, you know, maybe because we were outside before we went inside the pack that church, you know, we were outside for a good hour, what was it, about an hour, two hours, Max? About that, yeah, we were talking with all of the different af- activists and political leaders that was there that day. Yeah. And he had such a magnetic personality to where people, you know, every time you turned around, there was another group of people standing around to him talking, and everybody was laughing. They were he he had he had a way of expressing his point in a manner to where it could have just been as if he was feeding someone their favorite meal. You know, and that's that's the first thing that I noticed about him, that he just had a way with people, you know, and and then we also know his famous leap, you know, as something that's forever going to be ingrained in our memories is, is that leap, you know, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's a devastating loss you know, to his family, to his friends, to the community, you know, the city of Charleston. And it may not ever be realized the magnitude of what type of brother this was. Just those that really knew will know. And that's a shame. It's a damn shame. 
And you know why I feel like that? Because you even mentioned it with the people that are doing this work. It's why we've been doing this program for six years every week because nobody else is talking about it. This is the key to knocking down white supremacy. This is the key to freedom. This is the way we shut things down and put it right through the legal way, abolition, the same way our forefathers did. The only problem is that the only thing that stopped their success is that damn exception clause, which uh, we researched in incredible detail, found out who wrote it, who brought it to the president, how the president uh, uh, presented it, what Congress said about it. We researched all of that. We know how, what happened, even up to the point where the uh, American Anti-Slavery Society was about to disband the very same year that the uh, 13th Amendment was ratified on the grounds that it would end slavery. They were all completely fooled by that. And then it morphed immediately into what we knew as convict leasing. And that convict leasing eventually became what we know as mass incarceration. This is an unbroken chain of slavery. The only thing changed was the name and the way they played it out. <clears throat> and it's still the same the same thing it was then that it is now legalized slavery and that's the Absolutely. part that people don't seem to grasp they don't understand there's only two types of slavery there's legalized slavery and there's illegal slavery but they're Absolutely. both the same damn thing it's still slavery it's still slavery if you can go and put a bounty on a child's head for as much as three hundred and fifty thousand dollars as it is in New York State, <clears throat> where to incarcerate a teenager for a single year, like Khalif Browder, is $353,000 a year. If you can put that type of bounty on a child's head, and then you can hire uh, thugs, slave catchers, to go out and find you those children that you can put in, and then you make that money on these children, that's freaking slavery. And they're doing that to human, uh, to human beings, men, women, and children. Not just teenagers, but men and women. In New York, just to incarcerate a single adult is over $150,000 a year. Goddamn, man. You would have never exactly. seen him in a prison if you'd have given him that $150,000 from the very beginning. Exactly. I'm just saying, you know, that's slavery. People just don't get it. And this was a brother that got it. The people here on this program, we talk, we get it. And we watch as that awareness flows outwards across the globe so we hear about it all over the world because that is the truth and the truth will defend itself absolutely oh, pardon me I'm a little emotional today uh, I didn't mean outburst but you know expect it from me today dude they just killed my brother a day ago it was a brother I mentored and, and you know I, yes I do feel a special way about that but I also know that I was blessed to be aware of his potential and a lot of people will be aware, were aware of his potential and what he could accomplish. Dude, this is gonna this this hurts. It doesn't just hurt mentally and emotionally, but it hurts the movement. It hurts everything about it because that's a loss we've taken just now, you know. And yes, other people will step in and do other things, but there will never be another Muhaddin di Baha ever. That's right. That's right. Man. Anyway, uh. Do we have uh, I got a question for you in addition to that man you said would you hang on with me throughout the show today not only for the emotional support but also Scotty's having some issues uh, you know the flu is running through their, houses, uh, their house and he wants to take a little time to relax and just handle the board uh, would you mind uh, doing yeah, the show I'll, with me throughout the absolutely absolutely all right I think I can get a couple other friends to call in and, and talk with us tonight and we'll go over what we need to go over uh as a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to hearing something from Otis 
he uh, found a letter that was written by Justice Stevens to uh, Abraham Lincoln. And it was just so eerie, this letter, reading it now, uh, 150 something years later, where I was thinking to myself, all you had to do was replace the word slavery with uh, prison system, and it would have been the exact same argument that we're having uh, today, that we're hearing today. It's an amazing letter. Anyway, hopefully he'll call in and uh, tell us about his research on that. Um, anything else you want to say about Muhaddin? Uh, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll we'll have this discussion several times throughout the evening, so we can move on with the program now. Word. And if we have any callers now, is a good time to call in. If you want to say a few words. I wouldn't mind hearing a few people's memories of this brother and, and the amazing life that he has led. Uh, I was saying to some friends, you know, they talk about in that new series, Black Lightning, how Black Lightning, they used to call him the Black Jesus, you know what I mean? The, the, this principal version of Black Lightning. They used to call him the Black Jesus. And I was thinking to myself, nah, dude, Muaddin was our version of the Black Jesus. If you want to know what people would do with Jesus comes here, he was that. And I don't mean as in doing miracles. I just mean being Christ-like living a, a life right. of righteousness and being Christ-like. Right. He was here doing that. And he gave his life to the people. Man, every time you see this, brother, that was what he was doing, giving his life for the people and, and taking risks young, that others wouldn't take. Young, very young man, very young man as well. At a time where, you know, in his age bracket, it's it's more convenient to be lit, turned up, you know, all these types of things. I mean, he's doing, you know, things that that move mountains. Well, hey, hey, this is Brandon. There you go. I knew I was just getting a message from Brandon. Uh, what's happening, Brandon? For everybody that doesn't know this is Brandon Fish. He's also uh, an activist out of the Charleston area, one of the closest friends of Muaddin Baha, and a friend of mine as well. Uh, we go back a ways as well. We've been doing some things together. Welcome to the I'm program. I'm proud you call me that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. You've been a witness to, to this brother and what he's been doing, man. And I, I'd love to hear what you have to say and if there's any updates that you're aware of. I can tell you, number one, before I say anything else, that Muhyiddin was a, a big fan of yours. He was a strong um, abolitionist, and um, and he talked about abolition wherever he went, and uh, I haven't talked to any newspaper people that have tried to get in contact with me today, but um, I wanted to call your show because I know that Muhyiddin would have appreciated um, a voice on your program um, more than he would me chatting to any college kid at the New Orleans Times-Picayune. So um, I, I, I just want to I want to thank you for the support that you've given him, and I I know that uh, if he were alive right now, he would he would call your show to talk to you. Um, so I just want I just wanted to be here to tell you that. And and uh, and um, as far as information, uh, I, I'm with the family in only knowing what the police have to say. Uh, and some surveillance video was released where you don't really see anything except that he was walking around. Um, I do know that he was working very hard in Houston um, for a community-centered organization that he was really excited about the model that they were using, and he was very. It was the first time I heard him excited in a long time about a way an organization was running. And he wanted to come back to Charleston, 
and implement the model and um um and you know uh he told me he was going to New Orleans to turn up for the weekend it was Mardi Gras and um you know he checked I checked in with him about once a week and uh he's very private about information about where he was um uh, only a couple people only a couple people probably knew where he was at but um he he went to New Orleans and then I didn't hear from him and um and I got the news from his his niece that he was killed I I still can't believe it it's uh it's it's such a force for for good that is taken out of this world Mohideen um out of all the activists that I know he is he is somebody that is real he did not have any kind of ego he was a person that cared about all of the people that he knew deeply and um and he was a person that saw things in a very different way than most people do he had a unique vision and um and he was not shy about sharing that vision um and, and uh and uh i got i've had i was blessed to be with him through a lot of his journeys and uh i was blessed to be a part of um of his activist journey here in Charleston and I know that his journey began a long time before that and and uh and uh, I'm grateful to have spent time with him and you Max together um because I I I know uh how much I know how much respect that he had for you and I and I just hope I hope you keep carry on and and, and uh and keep talking about abolition and keep talking about the slavery that still exists and um I know that I know that Muhyiddin would be uh, right here telling you the same thing if he could. Yes, yeah, man. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I think, yeah, he would be telling you the same thing right now, and uh, we will continue his work. Uh, you know, he did a lot of things in silence, like you said. He, like, he's like me. What you see on the media, that's just the surface. There's so much going on that you have no idea about, and that's just the surface. So you see all these videos of him, all these photos of him, but like Brandon just said, he was making moves nobody even knew where he was at. You got to be like that sometimes. But he was also wise. Mm -hmm. Like, he would not put himself purposely into danger. And he was like, again, like myself, if I need to put my hands on you, I've already lost. I'm too smart for that. I shouldn't have to do that, and I'm too old for that. So, you know, I can't imagine him even getting in an altercation. He was a soft-spoken brother. He was very I have well never seen him off. get into an altercation. I, I mean, I've seen, him, I've seen him yell when the moment called for yelling about an injustice that was happening. I've seen him get on the bullhorn and shout down politicians that didn't like him that are in the news today saying how much they respect him. And, yep. uh, and you know, but I have never seen him get into a physical altercation with anybody in my entire life. With the exception, if you consider it a physical altercation, of jumping over the um, that barricading, snatching the Confederate flag out of that piece of shit Tyler Bessinger's hands. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your radio. It's done but, now. Uh, say wherever, it again, just make sure we got it here. <laughs> that piece of shit Tyler Bessinger's hands. South Carolina uh-huh. Secessionist Party. I don't know where he is, but I'm sure he's not listening to New Abolitionist Radio. But if I wish he was, because he's a piece of shit and. Uh, Anyway, 
But that, that's uh, how his mindset was, dude. Like he saw the flag and he went and took it. <laughs> like everybody else just standing there, like, oh, we can't go past this barricade because Popo says so. It's like the hell with that. You gonna disrespect everything we're doing here with that trash hanging out? And he went over there, did a dive bomb, and snatched it from him, knowing full well that they would tackle him afterwards. And it was really sad to see the brother, a black cop. Just you know, handcuffing him and, and tackling with it. it. It was just really sad to see that because you know he was right. And he said to he rights. said to someone he he saw in the old folks' eyes that they were scared of that flag and that he knew that with the young folks around him that it was important that he that he that he demonstrate that people would no longer be afraid of these other people. You know, um, that that's why he did it. He he just did not want to continue a legacy of being afraid of people who were wrong. And he just wouldn't stand for you it. Know, brave, a brave brother that would do what needed to be done in the face of adversity. I remember when we was at the uh, Burning Barry event and the police approached him and he stood there and told that, uh, policemen that we are going to bury white supremacy. We are going to break laws to get rid of white supremacy. We are equals, brother. Do you understand? We are equals. And that, that was the way he was. He you know, wasn't fearing no man and no badge and no title. And he never presented his own as something that people should be holding him up because of. It was actions he was about and what you were doing at that time. So yeah, man. My, my favorite moment is it's funny that you say that because my favorite moment about Muhyiddin, and I actually wasn't there for this, even though I, I was there with him in North Charleston City Council a thousand times. Um, one night, uh, he was he had jumped up to the microphone to um, argue with the mayor Keith Summy about about um, he wanted he wanted a North Charleston Citizen Advisory Council that had subpoena powers over the police department, and. Uh, it was something we were pushing for for a really long time. He had a specific model in mind. They presented a different model that was toothless, and he wasn't standing for it. So he got up on the microphone, and he's, it was election year, and uh, he started argue, he started going at Mayor Kisumi, and Mayor Kisumi was mad. And uh, Muhyiddin said to him, he just kept talking, and then his time ran out, and he just kept talking and kept talking and kept talking. And uh, and Mayor Summy said to him, uh, Sir, your time is up. <laughs> and uh, we kept talking, and he and then he said to him, Mayor Summy, your time is up. And he slammed his fist down on the table, and and walked off. It was it was it turned into like this whole crazy thing because Mayor Summy was in the paper. He was saying Muhyiddin uh, de Baja threatened my life and all kinds of stuff like this. But it was like this amazing moment. The whole room broke into applause, and um, and that's the type of person he was. He was so kind to everybody that was his friend. He was so warm to anybody that he would meet. He left an impression on everybody. But if you needed to be, if you needed to be put in your place, if you were an instrument of oppression in this world, he would shout you down in public in front of everybody, and he was not bashful about it. And that, and that's the. And if he was here right now, Max, what he would be saying is, I have no shadow of a doubt about this. Don't center me. Center the work. Center the issues. Yeah. Use this attention that I'm getting right now for the issues because that's all he cared about. Every time he got locked up and there was media attention around him, that's what he told me. Get everybody to city council. 
Buck having him stay in, in 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 the jail lobby waiting for me to get out put me put 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 the issues first. So I keep I love I love your show and I and I and I love everything that you stand for. I love you, Max, and Tribal Rain and um and I'll let you get on with your program. But I just wanted to I want to let you know. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon, for calling in here and sharing that. And uh, anybody else wants to say anything, you're more than welcome. Today is the day. As Scotty mentioned earlier, there's other activists who are leaders in the community and has so much potential that have lost their lives. And I'm sure in their community, their people made sure there was a, uh, a way for memories to be shared. And I'd like to offer that opportunity here for us tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You, uh, mentioned about how he did things you know he had this way of looking at you and just saying one or two words that would make you feel like oh i done screwed up didn't i he did that with reverend barber reverend barter barber you know he's this big leader now this fusion effort out in north carolina and uh we were all together at the days of grace event i believe it was in 2015 with the doctor you got some echo there. Uh, uh, the yeah, Max. We, I, I'm and, sorry, Max. We, there was a caller on the board. I don't know how long they were waiting. Are oh. you Are you able to see the board when they come unmuted? Um, there's someone no, now. I think it's a different number that's unmuted. I can't see. Peace, revolutionary greetings. This is India Asada. Hey, yes. my sister, India Asada. Welcome to new. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. It's good to hear your voice again. And been Peace, too long brother, since please. you and I have broke bread together. Absolutely, absolutely. I hate to have this reunion under such circumstances. So all I heard was Reverend Barber, Days of Grace, and you know I know that all too well. That's all yeah, I heard when I called in. <laughs> well, I'll finish it real quick, and then you can add to it if you like, or just share whatever memory you sure, like. Sure, sure. I just want you to know I just joined. I just oh, okay. What I was saying is about the way he does, he did things as Muadine is we were at the Days of Grace event in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. And it, uh, the Dock Workers Union was hosting it, and we were all together. We even had an abolitionist summit where we spoke about nothing but slavery abolition, modern-day slavery abolition. In any case, right after the abolitionist summit, Muaddin got up on the podium to speak to the general collective. And he spoke about the 13th Amendment, about modern-day slavery, about the need to end that now and to recognize it. And he spoke for about, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. Uh, but he went right after Reverend Barber, who was up there 45 minutes and never mentioned anything about mass incarceration, never mentioned anything about 13th Amendment, none of that. He just you know, sat there nodding his head after Muhaddin got up and talked about it. And then Muhaddin looked at Reverend Barber like, you knew all of this and you never said a word. It was just that type of look. And you can see Reverend Barber's reaction to it. It was an amazing sight to see. Anyway, uh, again, welcome to the show, India Asada. Uh, you and I have had some experiences, and you had some uh, beautiful experiences with Muhaddin, I believe, as well. You were a witness to his capabilities and what he what he was trying to accomplish. Uh, if you'd like to share any of that, um, sure. Um, honestly, um, this is a very emotional time for me. So. Um, you know me, brother, and for people that know it, some people that don't know me personally, they look at me as this just kind of really tough warrior who is just, you know, this iron woman. Um, but this one hits me hard, so I don't know if I would necessarily be the most poised or the most oracle at this point. 
Um, well, what about that, that right theory now, that you have here? Yeah, I really just came, um, in the words of the most honorable Dr. Khaled Muhammad, I'm not going to be long, but I will be strong because I'm not really emotionally stable right now. Um, I'm grieving the loss of not only a comrade, um, but a friend and a brother who yes. um, I was very, very close with, who I spent over a year um, shoulder to shoulder, literally connected at the hip with um, while I lived in South Carolina doing political organizing. Um, we even resided together for a little while. Um, and so this is this is very personal to me. Um, so the, I, it's just a lot. Um, but I just wanted to say um, we don't know what the facts are um, regarding the loss of our brother. And I wrote something today. You know, I was compelled to share something with the family, with the friends, comrades, supporters of Muhyiddin. I understand that when we're emotional and we want answers, but I need people to remember that we are at war. And in every war, there are casualties, unfortunately, on both sides. And so I'm just thinking about um, historically what has happened to our freedom fighters, from the most peaceful freedom fighter like Dr. King to the more radical freedom fighter like Malcolm X or Huey P. Newton. Muhyiddin was all those things wrapped up in one, but he was humble, and he never met a stranger, you know, um, and so I find it very hard to believe that he died due to some random act of violence, um, because I think about the way Muhyiddin moved, and I'm getting emotional, so I'm just going to read the post that I wrote, because... Okay. It's just a lot, but um, I remember one of the last conversations I had with Muhyiddin, and we used to fuss a lot because we worked on a lot of projects together, and I used to get so frustrated because he seemed to be so scatterbrained at times, like like a mad scientist scratching on a, on a blackboard with his ideas and then starting something, and then he would go and go do something else. And then he would tell us, hey, finish this for us, or finish that, or do this. And then we wouldn't hear from him, or we would be looking for him. And then he would just kind of ride up on us in his, on his bike with his drum in the dark, or, you know, kind of walk up on us from some random place, or get out of some weird car we didn't know. And we used to be like, what are you doing? You know, you're gonna something's going to happen. And he used to say, you know, that he did that for a reason. So I just want to read the post. So I said, personally... I believe that there is a huge possibility that Muhyiddin the Baha'u'llah's death was politically motivated. If this is the case, or even a possibility, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, family. But if this okay. is the case, or even a possibility, we have to stay vigilant about what we share via social media regarding this case or in general. Big Brother is watching. Be stealth, like our barefoot, drum-playing, bike-riding warrior brethren. If you really knew him, you knew that he seldom published his moves via social media prior to making them. He only shared info on a need-to-know basis. He checked and rechecked facts before he spoke on them or shared info. He changed his phone number like he changed his underwear and oftentimes didn't carry a phone at all. 
He traveled alone and often didn't even tell his closest friends, family, or comrades what he was up to or doing until they absolutely needed to know. He and I had countless discussions about this when we were working together in Charleston in the wake of the Charleston massacre. I would get so frustrated about his inconsistent communication in semi-secretive ways. I would often frustrate him because I was so worried or I couldn't reach him to help finish a task. One day while we were lovingly fussing, he just looked at me straight in the eye, placed his hand over his heart, and did that little Buddhist-style bow of respect that he always did. And he responded to me, I know, sister, I'm a mess, but there's a method to my madness. I truly apologize for worrying you, but there are cer- they are certainly watching us, and I personally don't want to help them. And then he said, revolution is treason in the eyes of the oppressor. Always remember that. And those were his words. And the, and the post ends, now I get it. He, and this is my, my belief. He knew that he was a threat, and so did his opponents knew that he was a threat. So we can't underestimate our enemies. They don't call us freedom fighters for a reason, so we have to be careful because there is a possibility that his death could be politically motivated. I would hope that it's not, but there is a possibility. So we have to be mindful of what we're saying on social media. I'm watching the gossip mill. I'm getting a zillion phone calls. I'm looking at the media has 50, 11 million stories about what allegedly happened. And we can't feed the rumor mill. We have to understand the propaganda machine. So um, in the spirit of justice, in the spirit of righteousness, um, I ask that we we feel the vibrations. Like, like Muadine used to say, he walked around barefoot with a drum so that he could feel the vibrations of the earth. And so... I need us to do that and tap into our spiritual selves and be intuitive um, because there is a possibility that anything, you know, anything is possible. So we have to be vigilant um, of the information that we're sharing and what we're doing and how we're moving, you know, um, in our communications about us wanting answers and in our organizing as we move forward. Um, We can't take it for granted that this is a war. And even if you're not engaged in direct combat, with the enemy, even if you're uh, organizing and teaching children, even if you're working new abolitionists as a new abolitionist, these are all things that are combat with the enemy. And so these are things that make us threats. But that's all. Understood. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know how hard it is. I think after this program, I'm probably going to need some alone time myself. Like you, uh, we had a close relationship. And, uh, yeah, brother was brilliant. I I don't know if people understand, but when Martin Luther King Jr., as you mentioned, Malcolm X, as you mentioned, who you say he is both of wrapped all together, when they were young men, people knew their potential. They saw it. They nurtured it because they knew what they were capable of. And that's what we saw with Muhaddin Dibaha, that he was capable of great things to show that he could do it. His leadership skills, his listening skills, his understanding skills all were just way above average. And we expected great things. And to see his life just end so suddenly, we don't even know how he died. I mean, the whole details of the case. We don't even know that happens and stuff like that. It's it's just a jumble in our head and it hurts. It hurts because we want to get things laid out in A to Z, you know? 
but it doesn't seem like right. that's going to work in this case. But we're going to put our brother to rest, and we are not going to rest ourselves until we find out why, who, how, where, when. I share. I share. So thank you, my sister, for calling in and, and sharing that. Uh, we love you. And we miss thank you. you. I Travel love you guys too. Says the same thing. Much love to if you're listening. Radio. I got to go, family. Yes, I can't. I can't. But I love y'all. Y'all got my number. Okay. okay. We'll be in touch. Peace. All right. Peace. That was India Asada. And uh, our hearts go out to all the people affected by this just, just terrible incident that has happened. If you're listening and you have something to say, please press star star to mute yourself and just go ahead and announce yourself. Uh, now will be a good time. If you have something to say, we want to get into our new segment in the second hour uh, and then our final segment. So uh, we invite anybody that hey. wants to share their thoughts. Or Yes? Hey, Mac. Oh, hey, Mac. Uh, All right, let's go hey. with the, the gentleman first. Hey, Max, this is Brandon again. I, I just want to make sure you know, I know, I know you're going to feel upset after this program and a lot of people are and I just want you to know you can reach out to me and I'll be I'll be here and and, and uh and I'm gonna disconnect now and, and I'm glad to hear from India Sada and and uh and she has an important voice in this and, and um anyway if you you and Travel Ray yeah, wanna talk about anything own. let me know. All right. Thank you my brother. Uh I'll, I might just take you up hey, on Max, um, um thank you for tuning in and for sharing. Scotty Yes, let's take our break early before we pick up on these calls so we don't have to interrupt anyone. Okay, that sounds uh, like a good idea. Yeah, we got to. You're listening uh, to New, new Abolitionist on the board. Radio. Okay, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Block, uh, Black Talk Radio Network. We're talking about the life of Mu'adim Dibaha, and uh, we'll continue after these messages. Be right back. Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio here on, here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, we were talking about the life of Muhaddin Dibaha and uh, just hearing some memories and, and people's statements about how they feel and what's going on, what they remember. In any case, uh, if you're on the line, there was a young lady that we heard a little earlier. Uh, now is the time. Uh, just not your name, where you're calling from, and go ahead with your question or comment. Um, hey, Max, J9 from Newport. Hey, J9. Hey everybody. Up, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I wanted to share um, just a few things. So I'm not. I I never got the opportunity to meet um, him face to face. However, we were we were friends, like legitimate friends online, and we spoke and we had conversations um, about his faith and how he walked with people and how he was able to just masterfully have immense love and compassion and I think everyone's really kind of spoken to that um, and I knew about his faith but I didn't you know know exclusively what the Baha'i faith was about um, but he like walked barefoot with a drum like <laughs> literally um, he was in he was a walking testament to how he believed his spirit was and that's such a huge thing, I think, for um, some people who have a different look on faith and community and what really fuels uh, the work of of this truth-telling and justice. And I think he helped open my eyes when I would get frustrated and angry <laughs> and want to, like, yell at people. So I, I really just, that's the one thing that I know about. Thank you. About my experience with him. He, was, he did it so Thank well. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's so much potential we've lost, and not only in the movement, but just in the, the whole nation, for black America, for white America. Yeah, you don't even know. And we are not singing his praises because he passed or was killed. This is the truth. This is just who this brother was. And and he was doing a lot of stuff under the radar. So, you know, uh, his name wasn't out there in the way that you would have suspected. But those who knew, knew, you know. And we were trying to help him to get where he needed to be, to do the things that he needed to do. We expect a great thing. But we're going to expect great things from a lot of us out there now. There's, there's a big hole that needs to be filled. And you need to get off the bench and get to work now. Sure. Yeah. Anything else, Jay? Oh, Jay, there was an update as well, Jay Nine, um, from oh. Rhode Island in regards to the police shooting that had went down there. Um, you shared with me oh. recently. Oh, yeah, they completely just decided not to indict anyone. So all the state police, the hundreds of bullets into the car, killing someone, a young man, and then his uh, girlfriend who was in the hospital. Um, everything was justified. So there you go. <laughs> Just long story short, out in Providence, uh, in Rhode Island, uh, someone yep. stole, I believe, a police car, and they yeah. thought that the person that did it was driving a white truck. So they ran all up in the highway, broad daylight, blocked. middle of the day, and blocked the highway. And blocked the highway and shot this car up and killed this man who wasn't even the guy that did it. Just random guy in a white truck shot to death with hundred and a hail of bullets while he said his girlfriend was right next to him in the car. Imagine how she felt. Uh, and then turned around and went to court and uh, they decided that nobody was responsible and it was all by the book. Is that how it ended? Yep. Yep. They were justified because he was a threat to others because he was ramming the truck into other people. Um, 
So the police that created that event, all the rules that they broke uh, in pursuit of high-speed chases, everything that they did, because they were pissed because some person, some other person stole a police car, all that stuff doesn't matter, right? Because they were justified. So it's not a happy update, but that's... Yeah, that, that's police yeah. state much. You just run out on the road, murder somebody in front of children on a Sunday afternoon, and... Yep. Uh, then get away with it. Like nothing went wrong. Okay. Yep. Thanks for the update. The update. And we'll we'll right. share that information on New Abolitionist Radio. You know, we bring things up like okay. this because that's the slave catcher class. That's what they're doing. They're out here catching slaves and they, they kill people along the way. Um, you know, they sick dogs on you and let the dogs eat you and things like that. They, you know, whatever you expect from a slave catcher of the 1800s, you can expect from a policeman of the of 2018. And I'm not just saying that out of anger or anything like that. It's documented. If you can find I mean, the any job, incident, you can imagine. The job is what it is. I mean, it, it, they slave catchers, and they may not like that term. I'm sure they don't like that term, but it's an accurate term. Somebody had, you know, if, if the Constitution says that slavery is happening, you know, p- uh, via the 13th Amendment, via the courts, then how are these people ending up in courts? Uh, the slave catchers, of course. So you know, it's an accurate term. I could care less about um, you know how how police officers might feel about that term. But you got a call on the board, Max, from South Carolina. Okay. If you want to take that call, yes, let's take the call. Uh, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. State your name and where you're calling from, and your question or comment. Hey, you guys. It's Greg from uh, Greenville. Hey, Greg. Welcome home, brother. <sighs> Yeah, this isn't easy. No, it's not. So I only got to meet him once. And, um, you know, it's a... You don't... uh, You want to be careful to not put um, a a big spirit into a small box. Um, But I'm going to do that because that's really where I know him from, this from a really small box. Um, Other than Facebook and all that sort of thing. Um, So the small box that I know uh, William from is the South Carolina, specifically the the Charleston Green Party. And um, it's not something that has been talked about, and that's appropriate because, like I say, it's a small box, but it is piece of it is part of who he was, and um, so he was at a state convention, and that was where I met him. That was where David met him, and just having him there to hear what David was saying about abolition and being there to say to all those white folks who were there, (laughs) yeah, what he's saying is legit, true, real, um, the way it is. And uh, that's kind of invaluable. So, all right, so here's the thing that occurred to me. um, And I, I hate to... I didn't. I, I I I wasn't thinking about the show tonight until I got on Facebook and I saw that it was on and I was like, oh, I got to call in. Um, 
you know, I'm so grateful for all the money that has been raised. It's just wonderful. But we we should have done this three years ago for him, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know you so, come from. So we need to find out where to do that. We can't just we can't just um you know, like you were saying, big things were being hoped for and expected, so that's you're right, that's true. We have those hopes and expectations for other people. So now we need to the other side, the evil side, they don't hesitate to get up off their wallets and donate to somebody they think may may only have a one in a million chance of getting somewhere because they, they, they think they've got the money to spend, and they do. But you know what? We've got the money to spend, too. That money that came in, yeah, I mean, there were a few thousand-dollar contributions and hundred-dollar contributions, but there were a whole lot of seven-dollar contributions, too. Yes. So I'm going to hang up and not make an ass of myself. <laughs> Thank we you understand, guys. Greg. We understand, man. I, you know, I'm doing everything I can to hold it in right now. I haven't dealt with these emotions yeah. yet. This was my. I, I, he was like a. He was my mentee. Like you know what I mean. Like, excuse me. Okay. Anyway, I understand. And now is a good time to help. Like my brother, Nine Elements said in his poem, "Don't wait until I'm dead." It's so you know, mm-hmm. now is a good time. There are some other people out here who could use help, and they're going to try to fill in this this hole and get things done and take the time to help them somehow, some way. You know, when I think about this, man, it's like if I had gotten killed, it would be the same thing because I'm looking at his, his what he's doing, the same as what I've been doing. And we've done a lot of it by, side by side. 2015 through 17, half everything I did was with him. So, okay. Anyway, if we have any other calls, anybody want to say anything? Uh, not then we're going to uh, get into our news segments. So uh, just press star star to unmute yourself. All right. Uh, I don't want to say goodbye to my brother right now because um, we still got things to find out. But here tonight on New Abolitionist Radio, we salute you, Muhaddin Dabaha, and we say welcome to freedom. All right. So let's get in on to our, our next segments. One of the stories that I want to make sure I got out today was something that came out of the New York Times. It's uh, titled Criminal Justice Reform Empty Cells and Parole Fills Them Up Again. And it's one of the things that we have been talking about here over the years, particularly in the cases like in Alabama, where an entire for-profit probation company was kicked out of the state, had to leave 115 cities because it found that they were extorting the people. It was actually RICO charges that were brought up against them. So here is now the New York Times recognizing this as well with a story that they uh, just came out with. And I'll read some of it to you. Despite his longstanding position on law and order delivered in a rhetorical style that can seem borrowed from Walker, Texas Ranger, President Trump in his State of the Union speech called for reform of our prison systems, committing his administration to helping former inmates who have served their time get a second chance. Presumably, he wasn't thinking only of Paul Manafort's future. Liberals look at the country's high incarceration rate and see the tragedy of racial animus. Many on the right look at it and see the spreadsheet, another example of wasteful and ineffectual government spending. And I just can't stand when they talk like that. Like, you're talking about people's lives, man. Okay. 
here there can exist a convergence of goals. Advocacies around criminal justice reform in recent years have been increasingly fierce and successful. According to the latest government data in 2016, the number of prisoners in state and federal correctional facilities fell for the third consecutive year. A movement to end or drastically curtail cash bail and thus reduce the number of people held in pre-trial detention for their inability to pay it has swept across the country. Again, man, when they say things like they don't even know what they're talking about. You just exactly. You just talked about the Eighth Amendment being violated whole scale and said it in a sense like it didn't matter. <laughs> like and thus reduced the number of people held in pre-trial detention. That's the Eighth Amendment being violation violation violated. It's a constitutional violation happening. Somebody need to be a lawyer and act like it. Anyway, New Jersey has nearly eliminated it altogether. New York Governor Cuomo has proposed getting rid of cash bail for people facing misdemeanor and nonviolent felony charges. Even Alaska, which has voted for Republican in the last eight presidential elections, has reformed bail. But the fate of prisoners when they return home remains a confounding problem. Apart from the obvious difficulties of getting work, this is largely because of a parole system that replicates and often magnifies the anxieties of poverty, which in many instances served as the catalyst for an engagement with crime in the first place. Too often, former prisoners find themselves incarcerated a second or third time, not because they have done anything particularly wrong or pose a threat to communities, but because they are found to have violated stringent rules that have little to do with maintaining public well-being. Famously, Last year, the rapper Meek Mill was given a two- to four-year prison sentence for violating his parole for breaches including popping a wheelie on his motorcycle in a music video. Just this week, a report from Columbia University's Justice Lab examined the way the issue has played out in New York City. For the four years ending on January 1st, the city's jail population declined by 21%, the result of decreases in the number of people held at Rikers Island, for the most part, before the trial begins. During the same period, through one subgroup of the city's jail population grew, the number of people held on technical parole violations. That figure increased by 15%. Between 2016 and 17, the average daily population of those in jail for such infractions climbed to 20%. As Vincent Chiraldi, co-director of the Justice Lab and a former probation commissioner put it, these are people who most of the time haven't even jaywalked or jumped a turnstile. Uh, I'm going to leave it at that, and you can read the rest of it on New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, it'll be available for you there. But basically, they're saying that these probation companies are actually uh, playing a secondary role to filling these prisons, even if you're, as they're bringing people, like activists like us, are fighting to get people out of these prisons, and you know we're reducing the number. At the same time, these probation uh companies are violating them on their probation and sending them right back for the most ridiculous of reasons. Like they said, Meek Mill did a wheelie in a music video, and that was a violation of parole, and it put him to two to four years in prison. We've seen and reported here on New Abolitionist Radio of probation companies that were having contests, and whoever could uh, send the most people back to prison from probation for that week won a pizza. A pizza! So for a twenty dollar pizza, they were always in to send people back to prison. Wow. Oh. Um, Max, we do got a, another call. Not sure if you picked up CMCP is on the board. Uh, sure. Go ahead. Uh, state your name and uh, uh, your question or comment. Where you calling from? 
Hey, this is Chris calling from Decatur. Uh, Scotty knows me. I, I've been listening to y'all for probably since y'all first started. I know I <laughs> no definitely. Doubt. I remember the type of phone I had, and it wasn't this. No one. doubt. I would say welcome <laughs> yeah. home, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I found y'all on podcasts. Found y'all when I lost the phone and relocated, and, you know. But there's a website. Um, man, there's a website that. Uh, Basically, it's called um, the Cage Cage Bridge Magazine, and what's it doing? It basically has a black fist on it, and it shows a lot of prison, a lot of jobs, or a lot of corporations that support prison uh, slavery. It has the names of them, and they got them like all listed. And I didn't know if y'all if y'all came across that, and I just you know thought that would be something to add to the abolitionist movement just to make more companies aware. It has like 50 companies on here that support, which some of the companies I, I've definitely heard you guys mention, but they they got like a bunch of companies on this website that are supporting places we go and shop. Like, that's, that's, that's it's, it's kind of wild. It's amazing uh, when you think of the scope of effect like you can barely go out today and get a service or any goods that haven't been touched by the prison industry and you, if you have a list like that we'd appreciate it this uh, uh you could tag me in it and i'll share it on new abolitionist radio the more people that are aware of these different facilities and and corporations the better uh <laughs> lord you know i'll be missing okay, out I'll, my McDonald's. I'll... Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that list and I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot it out. Uh, how do I tag? What's your tag information? Uh, Max Parthis on Facebook, or you can. Uh, it's at Max Parthis in btrcommunity.com. That's our home base. Go. I what think. See, oh, brother Chris, okay, ain't yeah, you a member I'm... of BTR Community? Okay, so Max Parson at btrcommunity.com. Yes. Yeah, if you okay, if you a member of BTR, I don't mess with Facebook. <laughs> yeah, if you on BTRcommunity.com, it's at just use the at symbol and then type the uh, member's name and Max is in there under Max Partis. But that website again is CagedBirdMagazine.com. CagedBirdMagazine.com and um. Yes, it is a good resource. I had never, to answer the question, no, I had not been aware of that website. Um, but, yes, we should be making it, making people more aware. Um, I need to start, I've just been sick, but I need to keep pushing this campaign about the six banks underwriting private prisons. Like Chris was just saying, the uh, play, uh, corporations named on Cage Bird Magazine. We shop at these places. We shop at these places, we bank with these banks, and we are helping uh, make slavery profitable. So it's just unconscionable to me as an abolitionist that anybody out there who is calling themselves an abolitionist isn't doing everything possible. In some cases, it's unavoidable because they might be the only service that you can get of that type, you know, communication service or whatever. But still, with 50 companies and, and only six banks, certainly we can divest ourselves of them. So I appreciate the resource. All right. Yes, thank you, Pete. I've found a couple of articles, one that has shown it's touched every industry. Like they were listing it in banking and 
electronics and uh, you know uh, services just, just touched everything and everybody using it. Even uh, banks are using prison slave labor, labor or services. Companies you wouldn't normally associate with slavery. You're like, wow, this is how we make we support it with our cash dollars. So you know, yeah, Max, you can consciously. Go ahead, Scotty. Yeah, I mean, again. It, this fight wouldn't be so difficult, man, if we could just keep people, I mean, if people would just keep it real. I mean, if we could cripple the private prison industry, almost brought it down by just putting pressure on the Obama administration who, who you know, issued that order or directive saying they weren't going to do any more deals with federal contracts going to private prisons. Of course, that was a lie because the very next week after the announcement, they signed the new contract with the GEO group. But the stock market reaction almost, almost, not quite because they had time to recover and everybody was looking to see, you know, if Donald Trump was going to become CEO. Uh, once once that happened, once he was in there and the votes were counted, then their stock rose. But listen, we don't have to be wasting time. I'm not going to call it a waste of time, but let me put it this way. We wouldn't have to be expending resources trying to put pressure on a, a member of the board, the CEO of USA Inc., to get him to pass such policies or whatnot or take such actions to shut down elements of prison slavery. If we just took our money out these banks, Wells Fargo, they was in it from pre-1865 slavery. That's how long they've been a part of it. Why do you have deposits in Wells Fargo? Bank of America. Why are you doing business? Why do you have a business account with Bank of America? Okay, BNP Paribus. Why? Why? Just tell me why. You can't find, you mean to tell me you can't find a credit union or a bank? Because I know they're out there. Uh, uh, you know, uh, BB&T doesn't, doesn't underwrite private prison slavery. Okay, so it's no excuse. If we just started, if everybody tomorrow just started initiating withdrawals and closing their accounts, man, do you know the shot with, man, that will bring those banks down, therefore bringing by down that element of private prisons in this country. They will either, uh, they will either go out of business or they will be forced to, to, I guess, reform their business practice of underwriting private prisons. That's something that it, it don't take a whole lot, but a whole lot of individuals making up their mind that they're going to be serious about abolitionism. I'm sorry, I ain't mean to rant, but I mean, we got people out here losing their lives, man, for real. This is real. This brother then lost his life over this issue, fighting this issue. And you mean to tell me you can't close a bank? A bank account? What the hell is wrong with us? You know, Core Civic, which was formerly known as CCA, but because of negative press, had to change their freaking name and act like they're a new company. And the Geo Group, which are two of the largest prison profiteers in the entire world, are actually trying to advance it now. Scotty's telling you that the banks are investing in these prisons. Well, now the prisons want the public to do the same. And there is an article that just came out in the public interest, and it's a guide 
titled Core Civic and Geo Group's Push for Public-Private Partnerships in Building Prisons. While counties, states, and the federal government have traditionally used public debt to finance correctional facility construction, see what they were using? Public debt to finance correctional facility construction. There is evidence that the two biggest private prison corporations, Core Civic and Geo Group, are actively pushing governments to consider the use of private financing, known as public-private partnerships, to build new facilities. This guide summarizes concerns about public-private partnerships in correctional facility construction. They're taking it further, Scotty. They want Joe Blow to just go ahead and say, you know, I'm investing this prison in my community. <laughs> I mean, you could already do it through buying purchasing stocks in these companies, but now they want to push it with the government offering this as a way for their communities to make money by building prisons, by investing in prisons. This should be a click moment for anybody listening who really was on the fence right now. It should be like a click moment, like, oh, okay. <laughs> I've got this guide available for us on New Abolitionist Radio and uh, our forum on BTR as well as on our Facebook page. So if you want to check it out for yourself, this is the future of prisons now, where they're going to make you happy to do it because you get money for it. But where's that money coming from? By putting more people in prisons. Usually, those people are from the poorest communities who can't even afford to pay a $500 bail. All right. Yusuf, you want to say something on that, brother? <laughs> you know what? Because the time is short, because the time is short, because, you know, I, I, I could speak for an hour just on that alone. But uh, because the time is short, we can we can move on. We have a call from Las um, Vegas. All right. Oh wow. Okay. What'd you say, Yusuf? I was gonna read uh the, the Alexander Stevens uh response to Lincoln's letter. Oh, okay. Well that's a, a deep one. Let's take the caller first and then we'll do that one because I also want to read that letter that uh Otis provided as well. Oh, it's the same letter. He, I didn't oh, know okay. he sent it to you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sent it to yeah, you. Yeah, you want. We definitely want to read that and break it down what we're listening to. So let's take the caller first. Uh, Vegas, you're on the line. Just state your name and your question or comment. You have to hit star star to unmute your phone. Yes, hit star star. They, they are already unmuted. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, we can hear we you hear. now. Hello? Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I just say how much I truly appreciate the new abolitionist radio. This is red in Nevada. Um, but I definitely, you know, think of you all when I go out shopping and, and I feel like if, um, you know, the death of this other activist is not like, you know, wake up call, I don't feel like that we would actually get it. I know it reminds me and I know somebody else also said it too of Darren Seals and I feel like, and you know, there still hasn't been much that came out of that investigation. I remember just seeing videos where it was just, you know, just shoddy police work, but these are still fine individuals, quote unquote. Um, but I, I just want to say that. And so I, I know that, you know, it, it, it was definitely, you know, other things were eye opener for me, but I'm definitely glad that um, I've been able to be a, a avid listener to y'all and I'll, I'll meet my line. Thank you. Thank you, Red. We, we always Thank appreciate you. you. And we, 
yes, thank you for the words. Uh, we need to hear that every now and then because y'all know this this is not easy. We're standing against the tide and we're making headway doing it and we're losing lives along the way. And it's so unsung right now because the media, <clears throat> politicians, the government in general just don't want to touch this subject. They don't have much choice. They keep getting pushed towards it, but it's the last thing they want to do because it only leads in one direction. And that is ruin for what they've established. We have a... So, yeah, I mean... Go ahead. Uh, you yeah, we have a call, call from Eric Call you on New Abolitionist Radio. State your name, where you're calling from, and question or comment. 401. Oh, oh never mind. <laughs> Welcome, new, never mind. All right. No, no, well, um, Jay Nine, I didn't want to... Oh, Jay. I, know I was the one. Yeah, so um, super quick, you talk about companies. Um, my friend's brother is incarcerated in Georgia, and they're doing video teleconferencing, and she lives obviously up here in Rhode Island, and they're using that as a way so she can keep in touch uh, with her. That's how they're marketing it to her, and it is six ninety nine a minute plus an you're initial about, fee. You're uh -huh. talking about the uh, video conferencing that they're yep. pushing on all these prisons and jails now. And uh, yeah, they're so giving companies to those, for free. You know? Yeah. You notice the word free in quotation marks because ain't nothing free. We uh, found out that the, who's actually paying for that is going to be the families of these incarcerated. They're going to be ones paying six ninety nine a freaking minute to well, uh, have their the, image of their loved ones sold back to them. Yes. An account with the setup, an account fee. She has a setup fee. Um. If, if something happens on the call, she has to reestablish. It has to reestablish. She still gets charged a fee. Um, and I'm curious to know what companies are involved in that. You know, so just go ahead. Oh, I'm sure with, uh, JPay. I'm sure yeah. JPay is at the top of the list. JPay and uh, what's yes. the other one? Probably the same telecommunications <laughs> uh, companies that were involved with the profiting from the phone calls. But I think it's also important as abolitionists that we point out that that current victims of slavery, I can only speak for the Free Al Al Alabama movement because they have spoken for themselves, and we played it last week. I believe we played it last week or the week before, Swift Justice calling for a boycott of those type of services, calling on the family members to not uh, put money on their so-called commissary, to stop calling them, to stop... <laughs> to stop using yep. this video conferencing. So they're calling, they're saying from what Swift Justice was saying is that they see an avenue to bankrupting that part of the system if we, if family members and friends don't participate. Right. And that is so egregious. I mean, Ow. anybody with any common sense could just look at this uh, contextually. Just look at what's happening here. Not only are they stopping family members from visiting you physically and then selling their images back to the poorest people in the country, but also they're putting themselves in a position where they can take your family member and put them anywhere in the nation, if not anywhere in the world, and it doesn't matter anymore to them. And that's human trafficking. So you could go ahead and talk to your family member who is in a prison in Arizona and you're in Hawaii, <laughs> or you could talk to your family member who's a prisoner in Michigan, but you're from Vermont. I mean, that that's how they're doing it now. 
it's just terrible circumstances. Thanks for reminding us about that, Jake. Indeed. I, I just well, want to to just, you know, drop them a postcard. You know, my friend from high school, my best friend, closest friend from high school's in prison. He's been in prison over 20 years here in North Carolina. And I just I just purchased a bunch of postcards from the uh, post office. And I, I just write down my thoughts of whatever I have to say to him and send it that way. You know, but this J-Pay and all the fees involved in, in, in that type of stuff, I mean, we're just helping to perpetuate the system. I know that we're looking at it as, well, we're giving these victims of slavery some small comforts on the plantation, but at the same time, I had to agree with Swift Justice and the Free Alabama Movement. We're helping to, to fund it. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Swift Justice, man. It's amazing you mention that because that's another brother that looks at me as his mentor. I hope nothing ever happens to him because he's in the heart of danger right now. The heart of it. Especially putting out messages from behind the lines. Yeah, yes, shout we, out to my brother. And, and we know that they've been targeted before. You know, with solitary confinement, uh, food being poisoned. This is this is mm-hmm. real movement, people. Real lives are at, at risk. I mean, of course, the the victims of slavery are the lives that we're trying to save, but those who are putting it on the line, they're being targeted. They're being targeted. So this is real. This is real. This ain't play. This ain't pretend activism. This ain't, you know, this is just a hobby I do on the weekend or so. This is a real movement to abolish slavery in the 21st century. Legalized slavery. Not the kind that's already outlawed, but the kind that is being practiced by the federal government, the states, and private corporations. Max, we do want to take our last break. Okay, and uh, then we'll take, we only got a few minutes left for our segments, so we want to make sure we get them in. But there is one story I want to squeeze in after the break, and if we can take a call or two, if there's any more, we'll do that. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network. We're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking in the 21st century. We'll be right back after this. In 2008, the Black Talk Media Project launched the digital radio platform, Black Talk Radio Network, the first such platform created to serve the black community specifically. Black Talk Radio Network has grown with a variety of radio hosts, digital radio stations, and podcasters. Web analytics say Black Talk Radio, the platform, has an online reach that ranks it among the top independent black media platforms in the world. All of this is possible because of financial contributions to the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. If you love the work we do and the voices and perspectives we bring to you every day, make a donation today to ensure that Black Talk Radio is here in the future. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Peace. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're coming into the last half hour of our program and our final segments. Uh, This is time if we have any people who would like to make a question or a comment just press star star to unmute yourself and make sure that your phone is unmuted as well anyone all right then scotty i, I did want to squeeze in one more story but we do have a ton of them as always uh i just we just get out what we can get out what we think people need to really know but you know there's just so many of them in any case this is one i think is very important to the scheme of things 
And it's uh, an article that was written called Why Schools Fail to Teach Slavery's Hard Lessons. Apparently, the Southern Poverty Law Center has decided to write a textbook that they will be issuing out to teachers in order to adjust teaching hard history. Now, it makes me very nervous, Scott, because the Southern Poverty Law Center is the very same organization that helped to craft this narrative of black identity extremism by labeling black groups and black organizations as racist, which is an impossible thing to begin with because there cannot be a black racist, but the Southern Poverty Law Center does believe that not only are there black racists, but there's black racist extremists who will kill everybody and, and just want to kill the white man, and you should be aware of them. So they helped to craft this narrative, presented it as policy to, to the FBI who adopted this, and then took it even further and put all of these groups together and called them uh, the black identity extremists, which you, Scotty, have talked about in depth here over the months on uh, Black Talk Radio Network. So they have issued now a textbook, and it's called, uh, let me read some of this report for you. It says, in the ways that we teach and learn about the history of American slavery, writes the authors of a new report from the Southern Poverty Law Center, the nation needs an intervention. This new report, titled Teaching Hard History, American Slavery, is meant to be that intervention, a resource for teachers who are eager to help their students better understand slavery, not as some peculiar institution, but as the blood-soaked bedrock on which the United States was built. The report, which is the work of the SPLC's Teaching Tolerance Project, is also an appeal to states, school district leaders, and textbook managers to stop avoiding slavery's hard truths and lasting impacts. The Teaching Tolerance Project began in 91, according to its website, to reduce prejudice, improve intergroup relations, and support equitable school experiences for our nation's children. The report includes the dismal results of a new multiple-choice survey of 1,000 high school seniors results that suggest many young people know little about slavery's origins and the government's role in perpetuating it. Just a third of students correctly identified the law that officially ended slavery, the 13th Amendment, and fewer than half knew of the Middle Passage. Most alarming, alarming though, were the results to this question. What, which was the reason the South seceded from the Union? A, to preserve states' rights, B, to preserve slavery, C, to protest taxes on imported goods, and D, to avoid rape industrialization. E, not sure. Nearly half blamed taxes on imported goods. I'm not going to read the rest of that, <laughs> but you just heard it here. Huh? Man, comments, guys? Oh, man. Well, the biggest glaring the biggest glaring thing was them saying that the Thirteenth Amendment abolished slavery. So right off, yes. and, and you're again, this is a problem that the truth is not being taught. It's not a difficult truth. It's the truth. The truth is what it is. I don't know why what would make the truth so difficult for for people, but by them upholding that that myth that slavery was abolished, well, again, they are aiding and abetting in the, uh, in the continued uh, crime against humanity known as slavery that was, that was transformed 
from where personal people could be held as personal property to now they are slaves of the state and the corporations. So, I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's unfortunate, that's but it's not surprising. Purpose, and they need to be invited on New Abolitionist Radio to explain why they believe that the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. I might be able to make that happen. I have a, I have spoken to board of directors of the Southern Poverty Law Center personally. I've discussed it with them. One of them happens to be a Quaker uh, that I know. Maybe I can get him on the program and we can discuss that as a board of director on the Southern Poverty Law Center. On the Center. Southern Poverty Law you. Center? I thought that was a Jewish organization. Um, well, he's a Quaker. And uh, I don't know what... Uh, but in any case, he is on on the board, so maybe I can get him in here. He can explain this to me a little bit because I've talked to them personally. As I said, they know where we're coming from, and they're not uh, unknowing of the new abolitionist movement. On the contrary, I suspect that this is a counter move to our narrative because they know exactly what's going on. These are some of the most well versed people on the planet when it co- comes to historical well I, historical I, I, incidents regarding. I'm I'm just a bit confused though Max I'm I'm just a bit confused Um, The Southern Poverty Law Center Has filed monumental Never before lawsuits To actually shut down bail companies In cities In entire cities So that's some some work right there Okay So whenever you're dealing with large organizations Especially organizations With the type of money that's backing that organization, you're bound to find factions within that organization. So, you know, uh, again, we need to reach out to the executive director, not a board member, uh, not a behind-the-scenes person. We need to talk to the face of of, of the uh, Southern Poverty uh, Law Center in discussing uh, why they're putting out a pamphlet that's saying that slavery was abolished when it, when it has not been. I can't guarantee that I can get the face of the Southern Poverty Law. Well, I, again, be, I'm not I, asking you for any guarantees. I will reach out to them personally and put in and put okay. in an uh, official invitation right. from the network. Good, good. Let, let's make that happen. Um, sounds good to me. Well, we are coming up on the last 20 minutes of the program. We got to get these these last segments done here, Scotty. Um, you have our abolitionists in profile for this week already prepared. I understand. Yes. Okay, let me go into our abolitionist in profile, who is Prince Hall. Prince Hall was born between 1735 and 1738 and died in 1807. Prince Hall was an African-American noted as an abolitionist for his leadership in the free black community in Boston and as the founder of Prince Hall African Masonic Lodge. Uh, Revolutionary War. During the Revolutionary War, Hall encouraged enslaved and free blacks to serve in the American colonial military. He believed that if blacks were involved in the founding of the new nation, it would aid in the attainment of freedom for all blacks. Sadly, he was mistaken. Hall proposed that the Massachusetts Committee of Safety allowed blacks to join the military. He and fellow supporters compared Britain's colonial rule with the enslavement of blacks. Their proposal was declined by racist slaveholders like George Washington, the general of the American colonial army, also a enslaver in his own right. 
England issued a proclamation that guaranteed freedom to any enslaved black person who enlisted in the British Army. Once the British Army filled its ranks with black troops and was winning the war against the colonies, only then would the Continental Army reverse its racist decision and allow blacks to serve in the military. It is believed but not certain that Hall was one of the six Prince Halls from Massachusetts to serve during the war. Having served during the Revolutionary War, many African Americans perhaps foolishly expected but did not receive a reversal of the racist colonial era laws that had been enacted with the intention of approving the lives of fellow African Americans Prince Hall collaborated with others to lobby for legislation for equal rights for black citizens. He also hosted community events such as educational forums, theater events to improve the lives of black people. He engaged in public speaking and debate and cited Christian scripture against slavery to a predominantly Christian legislative body. Prince Hall worked within the state political arena to advance the rights of blacks in slavery and protect free blacks from being kidnapped by slave traders. He is the first to propose a back to Africa movement, but gave up on it as there was no widespread interest among black people in leaving the continent for Africa. Prince Hall died in 1807 and is buried in Boston's Cops Hill Cemetery for important American colonial figures. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes Prince Hall. Salute, it, it, man. If you, and his story, his, his it's sto- February and it's Black History Month, and this week you go find not only Black history but American history uh, from the past, right here where we're making it every day and where we're preparing for the future. One question, though, that this brings up to me as a question I have asked myself over the years in studying American history is why black people didn't just join up with the British and put these racist slavers in the grave. That's all my comments on that. Indeed, Scotty. All right, well, I'll go on to our Riders of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. It's a very long story and worth reading. We'll make it available on our website. I'll just give you the brief version. Our riders of the 21st Century Underground Railroad are Kevin Bailey and Corey Batchelor. Both were exonerated in Chicago January 30th, 2018, based solely on DNA and other evidence that the two men, men, teenagers at the time, were physically coerced into falsely confessing. Bailey, who was has served 28 years for that crime, for his crime, or for the crime, was released Tuesday afternoon. Bachelor was released in 2004 after serving 15 years in prison. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio would like to say welcome to freedom, Bailey and Bachelor. Welcome to freedom. Yes, welcome to freedom. Welcome to freedom. Man, 28 years, one, 15 for another. Another uh, effect of the John, John Burge era where he had all of these teenagers falsely arrested and brutalized them into false confessions and they spent lifetimes behind bars. Nobody's paying for that. Nobody. Even Chicago placed a limit on how much money you can get now. (laughs) Wow. All right. Well, that leaves us with our final segment of the evening, which is our uh, rebellion that we'll be remembering. 
the For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion. And this week we remember the Samba Rebellion of 1731. And this is something that you'll see as a narrative uh, over the weeks that we've been doing this segment, that oftentimes a rebellion never even happened. It was just a thought of the rebellion that made uh, colonialists, white supremacists rise up and start slaughtering people. The Nashes Revolt is one of the most familiar slave rebellions in Louisiana history and the U.S. Then you have conspiracies to start rebellions. In some cases, there are fictional claims to stir fear, such as the Samba Rebellion in Louisiana. The Samba Rebellion, so what was the Samba Rebellion supposed to be if it happened? Samba, who was involved in rebellions at home in West Africa, was simply to kill white people and take over the area. If this sounds very vague, like a very vague plan with no firm plan to proceed further, further, you would be correct. It's the kind of non-event or speculation that can stoke fear if needed. Samba's plan was said to have been revealed after a slave woman had a dispute with a drunk French Marine. The supposed leader of the rebellion was tortured but revealed nothing. As a result, others involved were tortured, revealing details, and ultimately all slaves involved were killed. The event was said to have taken place in 1731. And today we remember the non-rebellion of the Samba Rebellion of 1731. You know, that little section there where it said, uh, you know, where it said uh, it was just about, you know, killing white people and taking over the area. It just made me think of like this was you know it could have sounded like an advertisement for the birth of a nation because that was really the premise of the movie you know that it was just this big fear you know that all the blacks were gonna start coming out and raping white women and killing off killing off white people yeah, that's usually all it took. I mean, we've read so many of these stories already, and they always turn out the same way. Even Denmark Vesey never actually happened. In Charleston, South Carolina, it did not happen. It was the threat of it happening that made them put people's heads on spikes along the way. And sometimes I think they create these fears just so they can reach that bloodlust potential and achieve it. Well, it, I, I, I agree with that, and I also believe that, uh, you know, their hands are so dirty, they've done so much dirt that they know that it's eventually going to come back on them. So they're always in that potential fear, fear of retribution for all the dirt that they've done over the years. Hey, you know, there was one thing we didn't do, and I, I, if we could squeeze it in, maybe we could leave it as something to think about, because we do have just about seven minutes left. And that's that letter. Uh, we found, or Otis found, a letter from... Uh, Justice Stevens, who was Lincoln's opponent, to Abraham Lincoln himself in regards to his position on slavery and his push towards ending slavery. And uh, maybe, Yusuf, would you like to read that for us so we can leave it as the thing to think about uh, until we get back together next week? Oh, absolutely. Uh, this comes by way of uh, ucs.louisiana.edu. That's the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. Alexander Stevenson's Alexander Stevens' letter to Abraham Lincoln, Crawfordville, Georgia, 30th December, 1860. Lincoln's letter, if you can recall, was written on the 22nd, I believe, of December, so this is just a, you know, a little over a week later. Dear Sir, 
Washington, Jefferson, and other presidents are generally admitted to have been anti-slavery in sentiment. But in those days, anti-slavery did not enter as an element into party organization. But now this subject is made the central idea in the platform of principles announced by the triumphant party. The leading object, some, the leading object seems to be simply and wantingly, if you please, to put the institutions of nearly half the states under the ban of public opinion and national condemnation. This, under general principles, is quite enough of itself to arouse a spirit not only of general indignation, but of the revolt, but of revolt on the part of the prescribed. We at the South do think African slavery, as it exists with us, both morally and politically right. This opinion is founded upon the inferiority of the black race. You, however, and perhaps the majority of the North think it wrong, admit the difference of opinion. This is what creates our discontent and apprehension. You will also allow me to say that it is neither unnatural nor unreasonable, especially when we see the extent to which this reckless spirit has already gone. Such, for instance, as the avowed disregard and breach of the Constitution in the passage of the statutes in a number of the northern states against the rendition of fugitives from service and such exhibitions of madness as the John Brown Reed in Virginia, which has received so much sympathy from, from many and no open condemnation from any of the leading men of the present dominant party. I entreat you to be deceived. I entreat you be not deceived as to the nature and extent of the danger, nor as the remedy. Conciliation and harmony in my judgment can never be established by force. Excuse me for giving you these views. Excuse the strong language used. Nothing but the deep interest I feel in prospect of the most alarming dangers now threatening our common country can induce me to do it. Consider well what I write. Yours respectfully. Alexander H. Stevens. Okay, so I have a question. And so yes. this is the letter in response to Lincoln's letter yes. where he wrote yes. Stevens saying that, you know, y'all think that we're about to liberate your victims of slavery and let me assure you that we have yes. no such plans that our only rub is you want to expand the institution of slavery to the new territories of course I'm paraphrasing so it's in response yes. to that that letter right yes Absolutely. that's the one okay I mm -hmm. also want to say to um, and, and it's too bad this person isn't on the board but there is this how can I put this there is this thread of alternative history that seems to run through the community where they agree with these racist uh, suspects out here that uh, the Civil War wasn't about slavery. The Civil War was about blah, 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 and all this other crap. And again, as I stated on Tando Radio Show, we had the letters we had a documentation. We had the 13th Amendment itself. We had the the uh, uh, Constitution of the Confederacy, all stating that it was the Civil War was fight over slavery. And I say to you tonight, in my closing comments, is that it could very well be uh, the reason for Civil War Number Two, to quote John Sims. Yes, you're right, Scotty. That letter, if you simply replace the word slavery with prison industry, would sound exactly 
like the argument we're being faced with right now, because we're at the same stage where the people have gotten aware and they're sick of it. And they know anybody with any moral character, any ethics knows that this pro-slavery camp doesn't have a leg to stand on, that they are they don't have a legitimate ar uh, argument. And that is why in that letter he said, admit the difference of opinion. Your opinion is worth crap. Like literally, you think these people can be freaking property and you want that to be a legitimate stance. Well, Absolutely. Scotty. And, and if I can just, just tag on to that, the one sentence where it said, uh, this opinion is founded upon the inferiority of the black race. You know, now the argument is the propensity of black people committing criminality. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, like the 13th exactly. Amendment said, you know, from from slave to criminal in one amendment. That's what the documentary film, that was a tagline for the 13th. But guys, we do got to get out of here. We have mind, body, and spirit coming up. All right, Scotty, any final comments? No, sir. Just want to uh, remember our fallen brother and just recognize that the war continues. And we want him to rest in power. And the best way to honor him is to bring an end to this war. To this war. And, that, and, and the war that we're fighting is an end to slavery. Okay? And we won't stop until the job is done. Brother Yusuf, thank you for sitting in tonight with us. Any final comments? Absolutely. I mean, again, you know, salute and welcome to freedom to our brother. You know, and I just want to tell you, brothers, you know, that I love you, and I think we all should tell each other that much, much more often than we do, you know, because we just never know. We we, we know that we are public enemy number one. You know, we're a threat to their system that they have established. You know, their foundation is, is rooted in this 13th Amendment, and here we are trying to destroy that institution that's been set up since they got here so you know we just have to keep marching on you know you know as 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 what happens in battle you know someone else has to pick up the flag and carry it on so that's what we just have to do we keep on going you know and the quote a great ancestor you know you can kill the revolutionary but you can't kill the revolution amen I'm going to make it brief. I had this long thing I wanted to read towards the end, but uh, I'll just omit that for now and say this simply. Thank you to all the callers who shared their memories of Muaddin Baha today with us. Moya, um, God bless you on your journey, my brother. This is not over. We're going to find out what happened, and we're going to carry on our work in your name, and you will not be forgotten. God bless, and remember, abolition, the abolition of slavery, is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know peace. Peace. Just lift your eyes up. Let your wise rise up. See the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up.